a very happy Pentecost Sunday. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where I am going to land this morning. A gentleman was talking about an unearthly thing that he did. The good book of Webster defines unearthly as not terrestrial, not mundane, weird, unnatural, very strange. Have you ever done anything unearthly? As you think about that in your own mind, have you done anything unearthly? He goes on to say about this unearthly thing he did, being an earthling, I found it to be wonderful, downright exciting. He says, I defied gravity. I I didn't do it on my own. Earthlings can't do that, you see. I needed help from a power outside myself. And that posed a, a bit of a problem because that power happens to be invisible, And that's where things got a little eerie. How did you know that it was invisible? I looked. As a matter of fact, I I stared, he says. I leaned over the fellow sitting next to me, next to the window, and I watched the wings as we roared down the runway with the jet engines full throttle. I kept looking to see if I could see the power that would make an unearthly experience happen. Finally, the guy sitting next to me, next to the window, said to me, are are you all right? Yes, I said, as I kept staring at the wing. I'm just checking. I'm just checking. And before long, he was looking back and checking with me. What are we checking for? He asked as he strained his neck. Well, I replied, we're looking for the stuff that holds us up. (laughs) The stuff that holds us up, right, is in a plane, air. Air. You, You have to admit it, right, this morning? You have to admit it. That, oh, though that it's common, it's still amazing. That invisible force can hold up a plane 30,000 feet above sea level for several hours. I've been to Uganda. It's amazing how long you can fly, isn't it? (laughs) Where Where you have to get up and stand because you're tired of sitting. No one sees it. It's invisible. Have you ever thought about how incredibly strong air is? Air is a force in our world. Given enough velocity, air becomes devastating wind. Energized by what you see here in South Carolina, hurricanes, and what I've seen in the Midwest, in tornadoes, They can clear out entire cities in seconds. Devastating power. If you contain it in a network of hoses and valves and put it under enough pressure, it can bring a massive commercial bus or a tractor truck trailer to a screeching halt with thousands of pounds of cargo behind it. 
It'll stop a locomotive pulling over a hundred cars. It will break thick concrete on a driveway or a freeway if it's pushed through the right tools. It can lift massive amounts of weight. And most of the time, you can't even feel it. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't, except in most technical ways, measure it or even weigh it. But it keeps you and I alive right now. Because you see, if I could take air away from you right now, for the next five minutes, you would become brain dead. We cannot live without it. Yet when we fly or apply our brakes, we think nothing of it. Never think, never think that because something is invisible, it is therefore unimportant or weak. The Bible talks a lot about air, but amazingly this subject is probably the least talked about and least known among Christians. The New Testament calls it pneuma, pneuma in the Greek. There you go, you've learned Greek this morning, one word, pneuma. The English Bible, however, doesn't translate it as air. Usually it's breath, breath. Or as we see here in Acts 2, it's called wind. Or it is translated spirit, as in the spirit of man, or the Holy Spirit, spirit of God. A number of words are used for spirit. Words like helper, advocate, comforter, convictor, restrainer, exhorter, and reprover reproves us. He's portrayed in symbols such as a dove, fire, wind, even water. He most importantly is referred to as the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity. We're so easily impressed, aren't we, with what we can touch what we can see. We're like children in a candy store. We, we just want to see and we want to touch, and we're impressed with that. But when it comes to something that's invisible, we just simply kind of pass it off. We get used to that power, that we think nothing more of the force than just a plane ride. And then We come to texts like what we've seen this morning, like Ezekiel 37, and we see prophesying whereby the breath of the Spirit of God causes new hearts and new lives to create a vast army. And we hear Psalm 104 saying, you send forth your Spirit and they are what? Created. Life comes from the Spirit of God. We hear the words of our Savior say, When the Advocate comes, He will come to you. And when He comes, He will reprove the world and show them what righteousness is through 
you. And then we come to Acts 2. The day of Pentecost. We here at St. Paul's are celebrating the day of Pentecost. Today, this morning, uh, this afternoon with what I love in fried chicken or grilled if you would prefer. Roasted, you can cook chicken all kinds of different ways. I like it fried. The fatter, the better. And so the question this morning is why? Why are we celebrating the day of Pentecost? Well, I I think it's this. Here's my answer. Because our vision here at St. Paul's is to impact the world in the name of what? Jesus Christ. We're going to do that by transforming lives. We're going to help everyone fall in love with God We're going to grow as devoted followers of Christ. We're going to take the good news of Jesus into our hearts and into the homes of our our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces in the world. And that all sounds great. And then you come to the last two words, guided by what? The Holy Spirit. If you would have left that out, I would have said to you, I would have rebuked you. (laughs) You can do all of those things. But without the Spirit of God, you can do nothing. The message of Acts 2 is this. There's a right way to impact the world for Christ, and there's a wrong way. In other words, we we can do all of those things, and we can do it in our own power, and it'll be like trying to bail water out of a boat full of holes. We'll inevitably sink all of us, me with you, or we can celebrate days like this and say, Holy Spirit, come. We need your strength to do what we're going to do. So, I think we should come to this text with the persuasion that we have much to gain for our day of widespread deadness and powerlessness from the Spirit's work at Pentecost. So let's be persuaded by looking at just a few key words here in Acts 2 and then some applications. So what I want you to do is, there in your Bible, if you have one in front of you, I would highlight these words. So notice in Acts 2. So the first is very obvious, Pentecost. The second, suddenly. The third, kind of a phrase, wind and fire. Filled. Holy Spirit. And then we see all of these these adjectives, these verbs here in the latter part of the text. We see kind of the fallout of what's happening. Bewildered. Amazed, astonished, amazed, and perplexed. So let's take each one very quickly, and we're just going to run through them and see them for what God has for us this morning. Pentecost. It's a Jewish holiday. Be a lot of pilgrims now in Jerusalem from across the, the known world, the land there. It was one of the three Jewish feasts that called for a pilgrimage to the holy city. And it 
got its name Pentecost for 50th, from the fact that it took place 50 days after Passover. It was a feast of harvest. In other words, there was this beautiful, symbolic significance. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in extraordinary power was meant for witness and world evangelization. And what is this but a great harvest in the field of the world? And that is exactly what happened here in Acts 2. 3,000 people were harvested for God and given eternal life on the day of Pentecost, the feast of harvest. Notice suddenly, we, we need to know, I think, as God's people, that the Holy Spirit is free and sovereign and not bound to anyone's timing or technique for how to get His power. So, this isn't Benny Hinn 101 this morning. We're not going to like rub the genie in the lamp and say, you know, do it. That's not what's happening here. Suddenly, we are to bank on His daily indwelling presence and grace, walk in the obedience of faith, And pray day and night on our knees for the outpouring of power from on high. But we cannot make the Spirit come. When He comes, He comes suddenly. He will never become anyone's bellhop. He loves and He serves. But He keeps His own hours. He knows what is best for you and for me. Notice wind and fire. At times, the Holy Spirit makes Himself known with visible, audible, touchable manifestations. In the Old Testament, there was this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. At Jesus' baptism, what was there at Jesus' baptism? There was a dove. Good. Just want to make sure you're still with me. Some of you are looking tired. I see you. (laughs) In Acts 4, the building shakes. Chapter 6, Stephen's face was like the face of an angel. Chapter 16, so here in Acts, he's doing all kinds of things. Acts 16, there's an earthquake. At times, the Spirit stoops to give us visible, audible, touchable demonstrations of His presence and power. And then notice, filled with the Holy Spirit there in the text. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit here is is what? I think it's this. It is being overwhelmed by the greatness of God. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the greatness of God? The literal translation of verse 11 is that they were speaking the greatness of God. The flames on their heads had set fire to the knowledge of God and turned it into passion. 
And oh, how I, I want that for us. That we would know God in such a way that it would drop to our hearts and move it to passion. Move it to mobilization. Right? That we come in here and that we'd exit out the doors and just scatter the seeds. Fire, wind, Holy Spirit would just move this land. Passion and the violence and loudness of the wind drowned out by puny voices of doubt and uncertainty. And so every remnant of timidity and hesitancy and weakness here in this text is swallowed up in the experience of God's greatness. Do you have courage? Are you afraid of your neighbors that they may know that you love Jesus? Be filled with the Spirit, the greatness of God. Go in courage. Then notice in this text there is this fallout and how it lands on the multitude. Notice these words, bewildered. I, I love them because they, they show that what's happening to now to the people. They're bewildered. They're amazed. They're astonished. They're perplexed. They're perplexed. It's like they're confused. And this is where I want to pause for some reflection, just some application. Number one, if we as a church, if we here as a parish desire to see our children and youth know and love Christ, and oh, how I, I, I want and I desire for my youth group to know Christ. I want them to put their hope in God, right? It's Psalm 78 that we would tell the next generations about what God has done. Why? Why would we do that? Well, so they can put hope in mom and dad who are going to die one day. So that they would put their hope in church? <laughs> no, so that they would put their hope in God. Right? When, we, when my kids lower me into the grave, my prayer is that they would say, Dad didn't know much. <laughs> he didn't know much, but he knew God. And he loved Christ and I want Christ. I want to go where dad's going. Desire to see our children and youth love and know Christ. We desire to see our teaching and preaching that makes a difference. Worship that makes a difference. Leadership that makes a difference. Prayer that goes beyond the ceilings. Discipleship that makes a difference. Everything we do in the name of Jesus must be guided and relied upon by the work of the Holy Spirit that lives within each of us. So that's number one. There has to be some relying on the Spirit of God to move. Number two, no. That when this happens, 
And it is happening here at St. Paul's. There will be an amazement. And those who are will be perplexed and astonished. (laughs) They will be. Some will genuinely inquire as to what this is. And they're going to test all things. Hold fast to what is good. And then know this, others will stand outside and they will mock. And they will write off the enthusiasm as merely human. And that's what happens here in Acts 2. They are what? They're filled with new wine. Acts 2, it was, they're drunk. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on, but they're trashed. They're lit up. And so they're mocked. And so, what do we do now? So what do we do? What's this? It's very simplistic. It couldn't be more simple. We ask God this morning to overwhelm us with His greatness. We ask God this morning to overwhelm us with His greatness. O God, fill us with Your Spirit. Come, O Spirit of God, and bewilder us. Amaze us. Astonish us. Save our sons and daughters. Work in the lives of our children so that they would put their hope in you. Help us to fall on our faces and see the Son of God high and lifted up. The Lion of Judah. The Root of David who has conquered death the anointed one, the author of our salvation, the beginning and the end, the bridegroom, the cornerstone, the great shepherd of the sheep, our deliverer, the great I am, Jehovah, Emmanuel, our living water, our Redeemer, the Son of the Most High. Come, O Spirit of God, fall afresh on this parish, your people. Help us to serve and love through your power for the sake and supremacy of God in all things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen.